I don't know what frightens me more, the power that crushes us or our endless ability to endure it. This is one of my favorite quotes from Shantaram, a book I read a long time ago. I feel it's very fitting for this episode. I thought of uploading this episode as it is, raw, because that's what life is sometimes. Raw, messy, real, and horribly tragic. But then I paused. I learned a long time ago that one should always pause for about three days before making any major decisions. We make mistakes when we rush. In my moment of pause, I reflected a lot on death and dying, and I've always felt that death is harder on the living than those who die. So out of a deep respect for all those who are still mourning, for the survivors who've lost their loved ones, for those who are struggling through mental health issues, please know we do not want to add to your pain. Please stop listening now. This is a difficult episode. We look forward to seeing you back here again next week. Hi, Arte. This is Sammy. We're continuing our conversation about mental health. Trigger warning for this episode. We're going to be talking about the tough topic of suicide that often doesn't get talked about in our South Asian communities. It's an important topic to talk about as mental health may be affecting us in various ways and depths, and some of us have to experience it personally within our families or friends, and some of us have to witness suicide attempts or actual suicides. We're going to talk to Geet today about her personal experience witnessing a suicide. I know this is going to be hard for all of us to hear, but it's important to acknowledge and talk about the impact, the trauma, and how it all affects us personally. Geet? Thanks, Sammy. Before I even start telling the story, I'm going to double up the ante on Sammy and issue a trigger, trigger, trigger warning. On Sunday, May 15th, at gorgeous sunny day, at 1.30 in the afternoon, I took my dogs downstairs for a walk. We have an amenity deck on the 12th floor, which is where whenever it's gorgeous weather, families come and hang out. <clears throat> Moms bring their children, people bring their dogs, people go to the gym, people barbecue. It was just your every, every day spring Sunday. Gorgeous day outside, bright and sunny. I walked outside and I remember thinking to myself, hey, what a gorgeous day after a long time. I didn't even need a jacket. Took the dogs over. We went and we sat for about 15, 20 minutes. I was just enjoying the weather. I got up. They, the dogs were done. I got up to come home to come back into my building. I live in a twin tower, so we basically have a north and a south tower, and I live in the north tower, so, and the dog park is located on the south tower side, so I was, you have to walk across the entire amenity deck to get to the dog park. So here I, I finished whatever, dogs were done, put their belts back on, put their leashes back on, sorry, started to take them back, and somewhere past the midline of the amenity deck, someone entered, exited the south tower 
And every time somebody enters or exits the South Tower, the door screeches a little bit. So the dogs are very used to that sound. Mm-hmm. So two of them turned around right away because they're super playful. And whenever that door opens to them, it always means there's another puppy coming. So they turned around really excited and happy. And they saw that there was a, a, a dog there. And it was a young guy bringing his pup out for his afternoon walk. And the pups want to go over and say hello and whatever, but I haven't met the person before. I, I don't know anything about their dog. So I just asked him and my back was turned to my, to my own tower. My back was turned to the north side. And I was looking over past our building. So basically past the south tower. And I was asking him, so is it okay if they play? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So he turns around and I start to walk in his direction. So now my, both of our backs are to the north tower. And we're walking towards the dog park. And suddenly we hear a horrible, very unnatural, weird sound. Double thud, thud, thud. And instinctively, we both turn around because it's so loud and so not normal. It's not like somebody dropped something. Yeah. Um, it sounds like something fell from far above. The way that our amenity deck is built, there's a balcony one floor up from the 12th floor. Mm-hmm. So there's a person who has an apartment that has a gorgeous, probably 10 feet by 10 feet terrace that overlooks the amenity deck. And normally on days like that, the family tends to have host barbecues and have friends over. So my innate reaction when I was thinking like, oh, something fell, I was thinking in in my head that something fell from the balcony Mm. because that would be the most obvious thing that something fell. The guy was probably going to host something and he, you know, he must have dropped something down. So I'm walking over with the dog still on leash in my hand to go and see like that thing to help him or her, whoever that person was on the balcony. But when I turn around, the balcony is empty. And so naturally I start to look upwards, which is basically a line of windows all the way up the building. It's a 50 story building. So I start looking up to see like what fell because is anything out of place or any windows out? It's not really possible because our windows don't open past three inches. So like for something to fall from there is like, like nobody can drop some big thing from outside the window. Like it's hard to get your hand out there. Hmm. Um, so, of course, I'm walking towards it, and then I start to realize as I'm getting closer that it's a person, not a thing. Mm. And so my instinctive thing is, oh, my God, somebody fell off the balcony. So whoever that person was that was on that balcony has now fallen down. Mm. But when you're falling down from one story, you're thinking that person is going to have a broken limb, a cut, a bruise here or something. Now, and this is not much time that's happening. It just sounds a lot slower when I'm speaking. This is literally seconds that's happened. Yeah. And I'm probably now four steps into that direction. And I start to realize that it's not a broken limb. It's a lot more than a broken limb. Mm-hmm. And I start to see a lot more blood. And more of the scene becomes obvious. And then there's a hand and then there's a leg and then there's a foot. Gosh. And as I get closer... The woman is dismembered and now I'm in shock 
because I don't understand how somebody can fall from one story up and be dismembered yeah. and mangled. Yeah. So then it starts to sink like, okay, this person has fallen from higher up. So naturally I start to look upwards to try to figure out where from higher up mm-hmm. because it's all windows. And like I said, those windows don't open more than three inches. So like, yeah. what did you fall? And again, my instinctive thing is not to think it was purpose. I think it's an accident. So still, I'm naturally thinking it's an accident. Yeah, and your brain is just trying to make sense of like what's happening in the moment. And while this is all happening, I'm examining her from foot to head to try to figure out if there's something I can do for this poor woman. Mm. If I could stop her from bleeding in some way, or if I could do something, there was absolutely nothing I could do. The condition that she was in on the floor at that point, there was absolutely nothing. I could do. And I think that was breaking my heart in the moment as yeah. it was happening. It's the feeling of helplessness in that moment. The feeling, because the instinctive thing is to go over. And when you're thinking, and I don't know if this is instinctive for everybody. And I think this comes, it's a part of you or it isn't. There are very many ways to deal with shock. And of course, nobody's judging anybody for the way that they deal with shock, but some people freeze, some people run right. away and some people run too. Right. These are just extreme scenarios that I've seen with situ- with people in extreme situations. Mm. I know people who run in the direction of crisis, and I know people that run away from the direction of crisis. Right. So right. I'm not. This is not to judge anybody. It's just I don't think we have control over this. I think it's a very instinctive thing, and instinctively, my thing was to run in her direction. Yeah. At that point, when I was running in the direction of, I was not even running in the direction of her. I didn't know. It was a woman or a man or whatever. And then about probably less than 15 seconds later, I was probably standing over her head trying to figure out if there's anything that can be done. And there was nothing that could be done. Absolutely nothing. Mm. And everything happened so quickly. And I remember turning around to the other guy that I had been talking to mere seconds before about going into the dog park because he was now starting to come in my direction because I was hysterical. I was screaming. I was saying she's dead or somebody's fallen or something. I was screaming that was, that was giving him the, uh, the message that something's really wrong. Obviously he knew something was wrong, but he didn't realize either that it was something like this. And so he, he also instinctively first froze and then started to walk towards me and then had his hand on his phone, which I gave him so much credit for because I didn't think for a second to pick up my phone and call anybody. All I was thinking was, is there a way that I could save this woman's life? So he picked up his phone and he started, and he was already, by the time I turned around the second time, he was already on the phone calling 911. Without going into any more detail about the condition of the body or anything, because I think this is a bad enough trigger for a lot of people that have already experienced this. Um, I just told the guy I, when he was on the phone, he started to walk towards me and I said, please don't come here. There's nothing to see. Mm-hmm. It's so just don't come here. Just stay where you are. And God bless the poor guy. He actually listened to me. You know, he, he heard what I said. He listened to me and he stayed away from it. Maybe 10 minutes later, the cops were there. The mm-hmm. um, ambulance was there. And then of course, you know, they take over and I'm just processing the shock of what it is that I saw. 
I had no idea who the person was. I've, I've never seen her before. Mm-hmm. Um, after the thing happened, well, first of all, obviously when the cops get there, the whole, they take over the entire scene, right? So you can't, I couldn't even get out of the dog park to go back home. Yeah. They were, we were trying to figure out ways of how I could go around what had happened, which in the moment seems really ridiculous since you're the one that was the first person there right. on the scene. So it's like, well, what do you, I understand that, you know, cops are trained to try to protect you from things, but like, what are you protecting me from? I've already experienced the, the situation. I've already seen everything that was there to be seen. Right. They asked me, they questioned what had happened. They wanted to know what I had seen. The unfortunate part was that I had not seen the fall. The beautiful thing in this situation is if you can even try to count beautiful things, it's a very sad event that happened in the building, but the sense of community that I felt with the other people that live in the building, there was another woman that I would consider a friend um, that goes to, we know each other from the dog park. We have a common group in which we talk mm-hmm. and she unfortunately saw the body coming down from the 20th. She lives on the 20th floor. She happened to be, looking at the corner of her eye and saw something falling outside of a window. So she grabbed, she, she glanced at it and she saw that the body was coming down. And the next thing she saw was that I was standing there. Mm-hmm. So she She's called me witnessing it. Yeah. From- she, she, she didn't, she, she's already clarified that for me that she couldn't see the body hit. So she turned away before she could see any of that. And she was one of the first people to call me because she saw that I was there. So she called while I was still on the 12th floor. I was obviously not in my senses, so I did not hear the phone ring. Mm. Um, Because after that whole thing happened, I didn't have control over my dogs because I had their hands, I had their leashes in my hand. And then I moved them to the dog park because they were starting to get out of control. Like they wanted to go inside and they were pulling on the leash and I was not being able to like, manage both things at the same time like Mm -hmm. what's happening here and what they're trying to do so I just put them inside the dog park and I walked away and the other guy that was there with me I think he went in and came out of the dog park with his dog and left the door open behind him so the dog started running around all over like they thought it was playtime yeah so now my dogs are off leash and I'm losing my mind So finally I got them under control and I was able to pull all of them into the dog park because they didn't have leashes on them. So I actually had to physically bring them into the dog park. And when I was standing inside the dog park is when it started to sink in, I was still in such shock and I was like starting to process what had just happened. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking up and down the building and I was trying to understand where this happened from, because as far as we're concerned, rooftops, this is, you know, where we live in the East coast rooftops haven't been accessible for years, Yeah, you know, because this is a very common event that happens around this area. Yeah. So. Especially in high rises, right. Especially high rises, especially skyscrapers, right? Like we don't keep those things open because of this. So the fact it just didn't come in my head, right. That that was where this has happened from. Three of the cops came in, the first three cops that came in, one of them was standing by the dog park because he knew 
that both of the witnesses to the incident were both in the dog park. So he was standing right next to the dog park with us, basically. Mm -hmm. Two of the other ones went upstairs. They just went into the building before anybody came in, trying to figure out where this body came from. So they rode all the way up. And now we're looking at them up on the roof and the two cops are popping their heads over the top of the building. So we're seeing that there was access. Yeah. And that's where that happened from. Because nothing else was there. No, all the windows were intact. Everything was fine. So this is now you're talking to, not, now you're talking about the top of the 50th floor is basically where this happened from. Of course, with time, things have gone by and more information has, you know, come, become, um, I guess, released. They've, been, they've released more information. So as far as I know, and I'm not a police officer, but as far as I know, it's confirmed suicide. Hmm. There was no other evidence of foul play. There was no one else with this person. Hmm. Um, after it happened, it took me about an hour after the incident to get back in my apartment. For the next five hours, that situation was on a loop in my head just playing and replaying and replaying, trying to figure out if there was anything I could have done, where this happened from, why it happened. Mm. Why weren't there resources there? Why, and there are, right? We know there are so many resources, but why don't we use them? Yeah. Why don't we reach out to our neighbors? Why don't we sit down and, I don't know, just walk up, even if it's you're walking up to a random person to say, hey, can we sit down for a cup of coffee? I'm not sure how many people would actually look at people and say, no, I'm not willing to do that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of us that are out there that would just be like, hey, guy, let's sit down. It's fine. Yeah. I'll take 10 minutes out of my day. And if we're not that way, then maybe we should become that way. Mm. Because literally, you don't know who it is. Yeah. That's the and even within our own families, right? Like in friend circles, we never know when someone is experiencing so much depression and anxiety and stress or trauma that's sort of affecting them in that way and just trying to be able to keep an eye on that, you know, whether it's a child or an adult, um, it's important to know, like to keep an eye on these things, right? Like we don't generally, we don't do that. I think I in America, yeah. And I feel like in America, we're talking about it a lot more. And so it's also coming into our South Asian communities and I'm glad that we're doing a little more. We're seeing more and more, South Asian therapists even supporting our communities. Yeah. Um, but we generally, our families don't talk about it. And I think it's just one of those things that's like, I don't, either it's so traumatic that they don't want to talk about it or that they don't want to go into the feelings and the emotions of it. And it may be a little bit of both. Or well, maybe they think that it's such a private thing that they would be making your pain worse if they did. Right. Maybe right. it's also that. But my thing is, we're talking about people of the older generation. Let's not talk about them. Let's just yeah. talk about us. Can we just be there for each other? For sure. Like why are we keeping so many pardas up with people that are of our, our own peers, right. our friends? How often do we pick up the phone and say, hey, I feel like shit? Right. Why are we so ashamed to say, you know, I've been thinking about hurting myself? Right. I mean, I, I, I know how that sounds, but I would hope that we have some friends that we can say that to without being judged. Right. And there's so much shame attached to that sort of admitting that you have 
there's a vulnerability or a weakness or you're going through something really tough in your life and right there's this like sort of no let's you know look at kahenge don't talk about it you know what you looking cute but yeah but mujhe nahi samajh aa rahi but we for example sami you and i are friends outside of this podcast mm-hmm. we are friends and if you were to call me and say hey i'm feeling really crappy right now and i'm thinking about hurting myself i hope you know that i would not judge you right right i hope you know that at that moment it would not be hi geet kya kahegi like baad mein jaye dude tum zinda are a lot better than geet kya kahegi right absolutely and why do we lose the focus of that like it's better for the person to be alive than for us to sit there and judge them on their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses and their right. sadnesses or even judging them after the fact right like if a person has committed suicide don't sit there and judge their life and that what they could have done and should have done right like it's happened but i think the most we can do is also support that family and that family has to be willing to like you know also talk about it see a therapist yeah. talk to somebody um i think that's one of the biggest things in our culture is that we don't talk about the things that are bothering us in sort of this experience that you've had what's sort of what's running through your mind now um and if you don't mind me asking like are you considering going into therapy to support just even talking to somebody about this on the outside kind of like a third person i'm speaking to somebody right now i'm trying to set up an appointment with a therapist it should probably be be happening next week i did speak to a psychiatrist um who told me that seeking therapy too early could also be detrimental in these kind of traumas mm. so not to be too quick and hasty about it and to give my brain some time to wrap itself around what's happened yeah. um i have a lot of triggers right now um i'm having a lot of triggers right now like i didn't think and in, for all reasons it should not affect me the way that it is because i did i did not know this person So it's not like I knew the person and like you can start feeling so many feelings. I didn't know the person at all. But I'm feeling so much despite all of that. I'm feeling I had 4 hours of a loop or 5 hours of a loop that was happening. And then finally I got out of the house. I went to the waterfront, I took the dogs down there and I spent about 3 4 hours outside of the house just because I was driving myself crazy. just thinking 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 on a loop of what had happened how it happened why it happened it's just a series of like and i think my natural brain my natural tendency is to analyze the shit out of anything i try to intellectualize it and and try to make sense out of it because it's such and but what sense is there in something that's so senseless right. a young life lost is such a senseless thing and i'm not trying to take away from the woman and what she was feeling i'm not trying to take i'm not saying that what she was going through was senseless what i'm trying to say is that, that you can how do you make sense out of a loss of a life like that yeah which could have been different had something been different had there been more people had there been a therapist involved had there been some medications involved i don't know i don't know yeah. right because yeah. i don't know the back end story of it but and just i, I think even recognizing the fact that you know you witnessed this you didn't know the person 
and yet it still had such a huge sort of impact on just in that moment being there and then also like you know you telling me or your partner or a friend about it even like we are feeling that too we're kind of going what could have been going through that person's mind that drove them to that point um i'm thinking about you going like what how is this affecting you how is it affecting your sleep how is it affecting your day-to-day work it's affecting it horribly actually i'm extremely distracted yeah um I don't feel in sync with myself. I'm usually very in sync with myself. I figure my day out before my day starts. And now I can't figure out my, my ass from my elbow. That's how I'm going. I'm taking it literally minute by minute. After the, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why now, because after the five, six hours of the loop and then me going out <clears throat> and trying to get my head out of this and trying to change the scenery and whatever, I came home and um, I went started to listen to bhajans and just make myself kind of distract and spirituality is always a wonderful crutch for things like this right like you don't find where you don't find peace anywhere else you tend to find it here because i guess it's so home ish right Mm. you go back to it especially like i grew up around that so for me it's kind of like comfort food yeah yeah so i'm listening to all of this stuff and I'm starting to calm down and everything. And uh, now we're looking at probably 1230, one o'clock. It's time for me to take dogs down for a walk again. I'm not 100% normal, but I'm better than I was mm. at two o'clock, for example. And then at four o'clock and then at six o'clock. So now it's 1 a.m. And I am getting up and I call the dogs and I'm saying, hey, guys, let's go. It's time to go for a walk. I had already decided before I was going for that walk somewhere around probably 5 p.m. that I was not going to go back to the 12th floor. I knew I was going to go to the ground to walk the dogs. Okay, so it's not the the, the, whatever's now going to come, whatever experienced is not from fear of going back to the place. Okay, so I, I get up and I call them and they come outside. And as I'm putting the leash around my first dog, my heart starts to race beyond. I start to sweat. I break out in a cold sweat. I almost feel like I'm hyperventilating. My ears are ringing loud, loud. And I realize that I'm going into a panic attack. And just putting the leashes around my dog's neck is making me feel like a panic attack, like I'm out of control again, right? And somehow I talk myself through it. I put my ear pods on, I put on the budgeons, I put them up really loud and I try to move through that moment because I can't let this, this, it can't get in the way of my life, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. Like, you can't get in the way of my life where I can't do the things that I normally do because I'm freaking out so goddamn much. Yeah. So I go and I put these things on and I go inside the hallway and I'm freaking out to open the door. Like, just getting outside and into the hallway mm-hmm. is making me freaked out. Okay, I, I conquered that. Now I walk a few feet to the elevator and now I'm freaking out opening the elevator. Like something's going to be in the elevator waiting for me or something. Mm. Nothing's there. There's nobody there. Like, I don't know why I was so freaked out, why I was so afraid. I have no idea. I can't, still can't understand why I was so afraid. What was I afraid of? Mm. But I'm so afraid. And it's not that there's something in the elevator. It's just that I'm going downstairs again. I'm going downstairs again. I think that's what the anxiety was coming from. So it was so horrible that I came back from the dog walk still 
if my heart was beating at 100 when I went down, it was probably beating at 90 when I came back up. It was still bad. Yeah. So that was when I came back upstairs and I decided, okay, I, there's definitely need to talk to somebody because I don't think this is going to get better very quickly and it's yeah. going to take me some time. Yeah. So I came back and I eventually, because now I'm back and I'm in the safety of my house, I'm calming down again, but I'm still freaking out in my house going into the second bedroom for no reason no reason whatsoever. So the anxiety is chasing me even into my own home. And I think that's what was so unsettling. That's also what's so unsettling about it that it happened in my home. You know, my safe space, whether that's the, even the amenity floor is technically my safe space, right? It's one of the places where I go to unwind and calm down and relax and have a glass of wine and chill by the fireplace. It's not something that you think, oh yeah, here, let's go and have some drama. You know what I mean? I mean, and people, some of the things that people have brought up with me are like, well, you're a doctor, like you've seen worse. Yeah, I've seen worse, but I haven't seen it in my own home. And I wasn't surprised by it. Like when we work in a hospital setting, we pretty much know when somebody's walking in with four guns. Yeah. You're hanging out on an amenities floor. Like you don't expect that kind of thing to happen on a random day and a random, sunny, beautiful day like that. Like the last thing that's on your mind. So yes, I accepted the fact very quickly. And then I accepted it again when at night I couldn't fall asleep. I was afraid to go to sleep. So I stayed up until the sun came up before I could go to bed, which nowadays is like 530. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the sun is coming up around 530. So I'm up at t- until 530 because I was afraid to go to sleep because I was like, if I go to sleep, I'm going to dream about this. Yeah. It's going to play out in my head and I don't want to go through it. It's because you're re-traumatizing your body while you're unconscious, right? right? Like your body, your body is actually experiencing that panic and that freak and that fight or flight or whatever it's supposed to be doing in its sleep. Right. When it's supposed to be relaxing. So I was like, I'm not sleeping today. So I waited until the sun came up. And that's finally when I calmed down and I was able to go to sleep. This has been now. I thought yesterday was better, but it wasn't. It was the same exact thing. I couldn't fall asleep, although I had walked the dogs earlier now because now I'm changing my entire routine because of this whole event that's happened. Mm -hmm. I'm in the process of changing my entire routine. I used to walk the dogs at 1.30. Now I'm going to walk them at 11 because I don't want to be by myself. Yeah. So, so at the right. earlier so that I don't have to go later right. and then I can get into bed earlier so I was actually done yesterday with everything quite early and I should have been in bed but I couldn't fall asleep I was wired as hell just again looping not about that incident anymore now just like well what happened to her did her family find out is she okay yeah. Has she blamed? you know like there's so many things that go on in your mind now because right. there's so many unknowns around that too right you didn't you didn't know her didn't know anything else like no context. It's like your brain's trying to find that context to fill up, like to create that story of like, okay, what are all the pieces of this puzzle? Cause I only just saw what this one thing. Yeah. And also I think as South Asians, there was quite a bit of South Asian-ness involved in this too, right? Like as South so, Asians, we want the Ruhu, Ru, yeah. Atma to be at peace. Yeah, That's what we want. Whether we're atheist or not, or believers or not, I don't think it has to be. I don't think it is a religious thing per se. I just think that there are some things that are like hardwired into our culture. And because of that, we're like, oh, hmm. like there's so much of this stuff that we think about. And so for me, it's like, I hope she's at peace. You know, whatever it is, I hope her parents have found that because my heart was breaking for her parents when I yeah, saw it. For sure. um, in that moment, literally when it happened. Yeah. My heart was breaking for her, for her mother. That's the first thing that came in my, my head. I was like, oh my God, what's this mother going to, what's this woman's mother going to think? 
-hmm. how is she going to feel at this point? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the questions don't stop. The, the thinking doesn't stop. You keep replaying. You keep imagining, well, what were the clothes and what was this and what was the look and what was she thinking and why did she do this and why did she have nobody else? And I hope she doesn't have children and I hope there's no, you know, poor heartbroken spouse sitting somewhere because mental health sucks because depression really sucks because somebody who's at the end of their life really can't see the good anymore no. to be that distraught. We misread. You know, when we were saying that suicide is something that somebody should be shameful of. The reason I think that comes is because people believe that suicide is a cop-out. It's generally yeah. spoken about like, oh, the person is a, thing. Yeah. Is, is a cop-out, is a coward. They couldn't face life. So right. they. And there's sort of them. morals attached to it through religion and stuff too. Right? Uh, aside from the haram halal part of it. Right. And aside from the fact that it's a sin across the board right. of all religions to kill yourself. Right. Right. And I understand why religions say that, because today, if somebody was to say to me, not, not, I would not look at it like it's a sin, but I would say, no, there are other things that you can do with your life. You can be putting yourself to so much use. God, it's not God. You have been given life and there's so much that can be done with it. So this should not be the thing that's in your mind. So I understand why religions say. Sure. Yeah. The point that I'm trying to make is that we look at it like it's a cop-out or a cowardice when in fact, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, it's actually pure selflessness yeah. that it comes from. Yeah. That people feel when they're going to do this or take such a big step, they're actually doing it to free the people around them, to free the people that they love from the burden that they're putting on them with their sadness and depression and whatever. Okay. It's like, when a child is depressed and sad, the mother sees it and knows it. The brother sees it and knows it. The father sees it and knows it. Yeah. The hope is that they see it, right? They see it and they know it. Yeah. Now, how do they deal with it? Because in right. South Asian communities, it's not something that we openly sit down and talk about. Beta, you're depressed. Right. In our communities, it's just like, stop it. Get out of it. Right. Stop this. What are you doing? Go read a book. Go read a book. Walk yeah. it off, feel better. Right. Go take a walk in the sunshine. You'll feel better. Yeah, if those things work, guys, we would be doing them, I promise. Right, exactly. And you get so tired of, and, and because the parents are like that, like they're like, go walk it off. But of course, a depressed person doesn't walk it off, right? Like they continue staying depressed. And what do they see in their parents' eye now? Eyes now is disappointment. Right. I'm a disappointment to you. And it's for a multitude of reasons, not just because I didn't take that walk, but because I'm also not focusing on the other important parts of my life that you deem important, like success and career and whatever. I'm not right. able to. And people don't understand that they're not able to. Right. If they could see life that way, they would be living life that way. Nobody voluntarily wants to live life being depressed. Absolutely. It's a biochemical imbalance in the mind. You cannot see it any other way. Right. So, Geet, now... After this experience, are you looking at seeking help to work through the stress and the trauma from the experience? I am absolutely, yes. I am seeking help. I will be having a therapy appointment next week. I have already Good. spoken to a psychiatrist. She told me that I need to take some days, like a week, maybe two, to wrap 
my head around what's happened itself and let myself self-heal. She said that if I seek therapy too early, it could be detrimental to the mm -hmm. healing process. So I'm giving myself some time. I'm also taking the help of um, Xanax, anti-anxiety pills, okay. just to keep things under control. And so I don't have panic attacks and I don't start um, automatically associating to putting a leash on my dog's neck with anxiety and panic. So yeah. I've, yeah. that's been under control, thank God. Um, I don't plan on staying on Xanax for the rest of my life. I just want to do it for the interim until I get a little bit better and um, have a grip. And every day is better, thank God. Good. Um, I'm glad to hear that you're seeking help. And we should all be seeking help for, for situations like this, even if we may not be dealing with or having suicidal thoughts. We may be in your situation. That's still traumatic. Trauma affects us in various different ways throughout our lives, right? It also travels across generations. When it's yeah, how about, let's not wait. how about let's not wait until we're having suicidal ideations? How about right. we actually start using the resources around us like therapy Absolutely. before it has to become something so extreme, right? Right. And for and all now that, we in therapy forever. <laughs> right. And now we have access to, we have greater access. I know it's not perfect or amazing or like it should be, but we are starting to see more access for South Asians for culturally responsive mental health, yeah. um, where you can talk to a South Asian therapist who will understand your own lived experience and they have that lived experience as well. Yeah, um, we're going to actually link to on our blog um, a wonderful um, tool for that I found while I was doing all this mental health work that we've been background research work that we've been doing for these two, three episodes. Um, I found a wonderful resource that actually maps out and pinpoints um, therapists in your area based off of where you live. And it's just South Asian therapists. So yeah. it's like a database of only South Asian therapists that are signed up to this. I think the parent company that created this is based out of the UK. Mm. And so, but they have therapists signed up on that website that are in the United States yeah. and across the world. It's not just right. in the UK. Right. That's really, that was a really awesome tool that I came across that I was like, shit, we should put this on our website. Yeah, no, that's great. That. Number two, um, as a wind down now to this episode, because now I'm starting to get very tired. Um, number two is please, 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 please. I beg of you guys, if you're a listener of ours and you are in crisis or you're having a bad day and really need to talk to somebody. I'm not saying it has to be suicidal ideations because it doesn't, but please don't let it get to that. Reach out to us. One of us is always available. One of us will always respond to either emails or the voicemails. You can find that information on our website. Once again, www.orate.com, spelled A-U-R-A-T-E-N. When you go to the website, there is a little blue tab on the right side of the website that says leave a voicemail. Click on that and you can actually record yourself. Whether it's a story you want to share with us and you just want to get your story out there, whether you need to speak to somebody, whether you want to find out a resource that's in your community that you can use, South Asian or otherwise, um, whether you just need support and an ear, just reach out to us, guys. It doesn't ever need to get this bad. <clears throat> And also there's a suicide prevention hotline as well. So it's the number is 800-273-8255. They also have a crisis text line, which provides free crisis support services at no cost, 24 hours a day. 
And if you want to use it, you text START to 741-741. I hope you don't have to use it, but please keep that in mind. Um, right now we have technology that is also useful in accessing a lot of information about mental health. So seek out mental health care in your area. Um, Geith mentioned South Asian therapists. Um, go to their website and um, take a look and find someone to talk to. It's really important that we address the trauma that shows up in our life, um, whether it's generational or whether we experience it in that moment. But we need to be able to talk about these things. Um, and keep in mind, trauma affects us all in very different ways. And all the stress that comes with life, um, whether it's, you know, because you lost a job or you don't have a home, all of those things do add up to the stress that does create mental health challenges. And we should be able to like talk to somebody about it. We encourage each and every single one of you to seek mental health care. It is not shameful, no matter what anyone tells you in your South Asian community, please don't listen to that shit. Go get yourself that help that you need. Um, and just talking to somebody is so helpful. Even if it's a friend, that friend may be able to listen to you, but definitely go see a, a specialist or a healthcare provider for that support as well. Yeah, absolutely. Don't let it get to this. There's no shame in the mental health. There's no shame in speaking to a therapist. Deal with it. And like we said, and like, in our last episode, Jahada said, the body keeps score. It's a book, read it. You'll understand much better how the body keeps score and why it's really important for us to seek out mental health when we need it, mental health care when we need it. Thank, Thank you for Keith. listening. Thank you, Keith, for sharing your experience. Thank you, Thank listeners. You. Thank you, Sammy. I know this was tough. I know, but I'm glad we were able to talk about it and it's okay to talk about, let's just also say that, right? It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to be not be okay. And it's okay to seek that care for yourself. It's okay for me to be a mess and yes. I will be fun. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. If you've managed to reach the end of this episode, I congratulate you. It was a super difficult topic to talk about. It was super difficult to go through. And I'm sure it was super difficult for you to listen to. You're probably wondering why Aurate decided to talk about something so tragic. Why we decided to focus an entire episode and 40 minutes of your life on panic attacks and anxiety and suicide topics that we like to brush under the rug. We're doing it in honor of Mental Health Month. We're doing it for all of those suicides that are happening all around South Asia. We're doing it for women, especially brown women, who are suffering from anxiety and depression silently for years, who are the victims of neglect, abuse, rape, and all sorts of horrendous tragedies. I'm gonna share with you some numbers that I took off of a few articles. 197.3 million people in India have mental health issues. Almost half of that consists of depression and anxiety. 800,000 people die by suicide internationally. 
200,000 of those deaths are from India. That's 25%. The WHO has recognized India's increasing suicide rates. And they've been urged by the WHO to work on tackling the suicide problem and to decrease the numbers by 2030. Unfortunately, we don't have such accurate figures for Pakistan, but I was able to dig up an article in Dawn News in which a woman is talking about losing her son to suicide, a psychologist herself, and she shared figures, inaccurate most probably, 15 to 35 people die a day by suicide in Pakistan. In America, suicide is the fifth leading cause of death for South Asians. For women 15 to 24, Asian American women have the highest suicide rates. Ultimately, what does that mean for us? It means that we need to stop and pause. It means that we need to reflect on how we're raising our children. It means to think about the conversations we're having as a community, how much pressure we're putting on people. Maybe it's not worth it. If you ask me, I'd rather have my friends alive. And that brings episode five to an end. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Geet, signing off.